Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Keeper Cup Podcast. I'm Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. Happy New Year. Last we talked to you, it was still 2023. It's now 2024. Exciting year. We're getting close to spring training, just weeks away. Uh, I, I'm like, I'm ready. I, I think especially because the hot stove has been kind of slow. Although we are, we're recording this on Sunday morning, and it was just announced that the Mets have signed Sean Manaya. That's that's about the biggest news we've gotten recently. Um, things are just sort of crawling along, and so I'm like, all right, let's get some let's get some baseball going. Yeah, man, totally. I uh, I'm fortunate. Like if if you really need to scratch the itch, and you're allowed to do this in your state, I highly recommend an NFBC 50s four hour draft. Because I've had the itch for over a month now, and I am just in the middle of my second draft. That's how long these things take. And it lets you really sit down. It gets you deep in the weeds. I mean, the last pick in this draft that I'm currently in was, it's got to be somebody, D.L. Hall went in the 34th round. So I'm deep in the weeds, ready to go here. Um, I highly recommend NFBC 50s. It's a draft and hold four hours. That'll that'll scratch the itch and hold you over for some time. Yeah, I, I've been. I can't do those things in my state, but I have been working on my 2024 Fangraphs points rankings, and that's like a. It's a process <laughs> to to go through. <laughs> there are, I'll tell you, and I know I need to add players to this because there's some players who aren't in the Auto New Universe yet that I need to look at, like uh, Yuki Matsui, um, the other the the Korean reliever that that San Diego Usako Usako. Uh, he's yep. not in there yet. Imanaga's not in there yet because he hasn't signed yet. So I've got a few names I still have to add, but I have a a ranking. It's right now. It's a very rough ranking of 849 players for Fangraphs points. Uh, we're going to talk wow. about that a little bit later in the episode. We're not going to go through all 849. Maybe we'll look at the top <sighs> 20 or 25 or something like that. I will tell you the way I cut the data was I took the Auto New Universe. And took every player who's rostered in at least 3% of leagues or who has picked up in any of... There, there's been a couple of auto-new mock auctions that have happened, the one that we talked about before, but there's another one going on. Anyone who's picked up in one of those auctions, anyone who has a value on the surplus calculator. And then a few weeks ago when we talked inflation, we had um, Adam on and he has a, rate, a, a values sheet he shared with me. And so anyone who has a value in that... like. I was just like, that's me, my universe of players. And one of the names that's on there is, is Wander Franco. And so he is number 849 on my rankings right now. He's dead last. Just, I don't want him. I don't think he's ever going to play baseball again. So he's at the bottom. Um, yeah. We won't talk about anyone else between about 50 and 848 because <laughs> they're not interesting. But before we get into that, we have a few other topics to cover. The first of which is our, our regular discussion of jersey numbers. Uh, this is episode 123, I believe. And That's so right. Jersey number 23, um, this is an interesting one. I mean, the, the top end of this is, is Hall of Fame caliber names, but not necessarily elite inner circle Hall of Fame caliber names. And, and some of these guys aren't guys who wore the jersey every year. Uh, Zach Grinke has not worn it every year of his career. He wore it for 10 years, but he is number one in baseball reference war to have worn this jersey um ryan sandberg he's second another like hall of famer but not necessarily inner circle hall of famer louis tiant wore it for 11 seasons um and and i'm gonna i'll I'll let you weigh in with who you want but i'm gonna drop down pretty far 
down this list, actually, uh, to a guy who's got about 34 career war, so about half as much as those guys at the top. I know who, who it is. Just retired, and I think deserves uh, deserves at least a shout-out for retiring because he would have had a pretty solid dollar value in my rankings this year, uh, and that's Michael Brantley. Um, and, and Brantley, I mean, just uh, the definition of a professional hitter throughout his career, really, really highly respected and regarded player among his peers. Um, and, and, you know, someone pointed out to me like his, so his projected steamer projection WRC plus for this year is 118. So this isn't a guy who's retiring because he can't cut it anymore. Last year was a down year for him, but BAPIP had a lot to do with that. And he was injured. He barely played, right? Like, so maybe he's too hurt. Maybe he can't come back. But this is a guy who, if at least if you ask the projection systems, it's like, dude, if you can get out there and play 100 games, you're going to hit the cover off the ball just like you always have. And so going out, maybe not quite on top, but near near a point where he's, he's still just, He's the kind of guy, like, he, he was 36 last year. He seemed like the kind of guy who at, like, 53 years old would be like, yeah, I can go out and hit 300. No problem. So, Michael Brantley gets gets my shout-out. I don't know if there's anyone else you want to mention, but that's that's the guy who stood out to me. No, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely cool with this being the, the Michael Brantley episode, five-time All-Star, which was more than I, I thought, Silver Slugger. Um, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's ultimately injuries. I can't remember, was it a shoulder issue that he's been dealing with over the last year or so or, or something like that but it's been something that's uh clearly brought an awesome career to i don't want to say an abrupt end because he had a long career but certainly an end yeah i mean retiring it at 36 he'll, he'll be 37 in may like that's not some crazy young age it's not like he's you know 28 and, and it's over but it does feel like it's it, it could have gone on a little longer he did say in his statement like hey it's time to like spend time with my family and not miss milestones with my kids and stuff like that and so um i was like you know especially guys that i that i respect that i like that i enjoyed as players like i like seeing them be like you know what i'm ready i've got other things i want to do um it's always nice when guys can retire on that instead of it being like you know, every once in a while you see these guys retire where they're like, oh, I feel like I have more to give, but I'm not finding the right opportunities and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I don't know. Just walk away when you want to walk away. It feels like that's what Brantley's doing. So good for him. Enjoy your retirement, Michael. Um, at least for, you know, I, he's also a guy who like anytime a player leaves a team, there's like groups of fans who are like, oh, screw that guy. I can't believe he left. He's one of the few guys that like he left Cleveland and I haven't heard a single Cleveland fan other than some like grumbling about Houston, right? Because nobody nobody wants anyone in Houston. Uh, but other than that, like people are not. I haven't seen any sign of Cleveland fans being upset with him, bitter with him. Like he gave us a good decade of great baseball in return for a few months of CC Sabathia, and uh, hard to argue with with what he did while he was here. So, yeah, enjoy your retirement, Michael. With that, Pete, we should dive into our topics for the day. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about first-year auctions, startup league auctions, and I am trying to find my email because we got an email from a listener. Um, I, I will say we do have an email, keepercut at gmail.com. I am really bad at looking at that. So like, don't ask me timely things on there because I might miss it. But we did get an email a couple days ago from Ethan Hunt. 
Ethan also pinged me on Discord and said, you know, there's a, a handful of pitcher list members starting or at least trying to start, he says, an auto new league this year. Wondering if y'all could spend a few minutes on the next keeper cut talking about how to approach the auction for a new league. And he he points out, like, I've done snake drafts for redraft. I have like this is this is new to Ethan. Um which is great. First of all, Ethan, uh, you're making a good decision. The the transition from you know snake draft redraft leagues to, to auto new or really to any keeper league and and auctions is is a good one. Um, I'm glad you're doing it. Good decision. But Pete, I think there's probably two different things we sh- we should talk about here. One is prepping for the auction, which is really what he asked. But they're also trying to get a league started. Why don't we talk a little bit first about what you do when you're starting up a league what are the things you consider and specifically for auto new i mean have you you haven't actually you've you and i have started some leagues together but have you ever started an auto new league without me leading it (laughs) no i'm still just in four and one of the teams i never even i i co-manage that and i just let my buddy just do whatever i don't even i can't name one player on the team so i'm really just in three and just the two um startups the two start so the two startups you've been under the are the podcaster league that we started last year, the listener yep. league that we started what two years ago, three years ago, and Something then like then you're in the the Fangraph staff league, um, yep. the white whale. And, yeah, what's the what's your fourth one? Uh, it's the pitcher list league. Oh, um, pitcher list, right? Yeah, I I I, I'm not, I have no pulse on that. that? Uh, my buddy Chris, who I've been playing fantasy baseball with for a long time, he's a really smart dude and. Uh, he does a nice job, but um, man, <laughs> I'm not firing shots. All I all I know about that league is the trade offers I receive because it, they go to my the email emails, and like, yeah. oh my god, <laughs> like I I don't know if they think Chris is dumb, but woof, <laughs> I have received some absolute doozies in that one. <laughs> yeah, it does happen in, in any league that happens. So is that a is that a Fangraphs points league? Do you? Even know? Uh, it's an old school five by five. Okay, so you're in you're in two five by fives, one four by four, and then you're in a head to head Fangraphs points. Yeah, sound right? Okay, yeah. so I, I think actually, you know, Ethan, that's that's the first thing that you and and your league mates need to figure out is there are, well, there there are four ways of scoring, but there's actually like six. There might even be more ways of setting up a league because you can do four by four, um, and for those like. As long as we're talking starting new leagues, for anyone out there who hasn't done Auto New, 4x4 is the original Auto New format. It is home runs, runs, on base, and slugging for hitters. It is ERA, whip, strikeouts, and home runs per nine for pitchers. So it is a a saber metric friendly roto format. So that's one format. There is old school 5x5, which is exactly what you expect it to be. Um, I'm not going to list all those categories. You all know them. And then there's Fangraphs points and there's Saber points. Um, Fangraphs points and Saber points both use linear weights for offense, and it's the same scoring for offense. You can go to the the Auto New FAQ page and, and see the details on that. For pitching, the, the basic difference is Saber points is purely FIP based. It's strikeouts, walks, home runs. Um, there's also some points for for wins and saves, uh, or not wins and saves for holds and saves in order to give relievers sort of fair value. But it's it is purely like balls in play are not the pitcher's responsibility. Whereas 
Fangraph's points does give pitchers some penalty for allowing hits. Um, yeah, those are the those are the four formats that are out there. But you can also pick if you're going to do in the points formats. You can do season long or head to head. You can decide whether or not you want playoffs, and that includes, by the way, I am pretty sure you could do like a four by four league and then do a head to head playoffs if you wanted. Um, it'd be really weird because you're then changing formats for the month of September, but I don't like someone that. out there's probably doing it. Yeah. Um, but I think that the first thing you need to do is decide which of those you want to do. I mean, Pete, having done a you know three roto leagues, one points league, do you have a a preference among those formats or at least the ones you've played? Uh, yeah. So I mean, my history is head to head categories. Like that's what I broke into fantasy baseball with. I think everybody's got sort of their similar. Whatever you went in with, that's probably what you like to play. But Otnu was so foreign to me when we started this podcast that I kind of liked just jumping right in with Fangraph's points and like really just getting a whole new brand experience. I wasn't somebody who enjoyed points. I don't like the ESPN, which is sort of like my home application system for points. It's weird to me. Um, So everything was new and I liked that. I would say like if you're a seasoned fantasy player and you're brand new to Otnu, it doesn't, and I know this was the idea behind the Podcasters League, or at least I think it was, because everything is new. It it might make sense to just start with five by five old school, and that way you can kind of get a feel for how a four hundred dollar budget works. You know how the auction system works, and all that kind of stuff. How arbitration works, and get a feel for the general structure and layout of new. And and you don't have to worry about the scoring. Like you you kind of ha- already have an idea of the value of the players going into it because the value of a lot of these players changes drastically from format to format. Particularly that four by four man. That I I said this last year. I had st- I was still not really used to that scoring. It's because I play so many damn leagues that like home runs per nine is just like. That's a crazy. It's it's a it's a good category. I'm not I'm not against it, but it's like a crazy one for me to adjust to when it comes to building my pitching staff. So um, it's my long winded way of saying maybe go for five by five, get used to odd new, and then uh, and then jump into some of the other formats. Yeah, that makes a that makes sense to me. I think like there's you know, I remember I, I someone once gave me advice in a, in a job that like if you're changing jobs, changing roles at your job, like you want either more responsibility or more difficult responsibility. You want a new subject area. You want a new location. You want a new manager, but you don't want to change all those things at once because it just becomes overwhelming and it sort of fits here too. I I personally, four by four is my, my favorite of the auto new formats. And so I think even if you're used to five by five, I think going to four by four is a little bit of a better experience in my opinion, but it's still roto and you still sort of used to that. Um, points is where the most content exists for auto new um so like the surplus calculator does do all formats but there's a little there's just more focus i think on, on points leagues in the community because it's the most fangraphs points is the most played format um so yeah i th- there's lots of choices there i do think like if you've only ever played five by five and you're like how do i jump into this new thing five by five is, is definitely a good place to start um a lot of the other settings you'll walk through as you sign up around like, do you want, I think it's, there's like a choice of like 24 or 48 hours for trade review. I would always suggest 24 hours. Leagues rarely need 48 hours to decide if a trade should be vetoed. Um, but there's some other things that like, I think you are worth talking about as, as a league. Um, 
there's a rule. It's rule 1A. If you go look at the rules that say you have to have a sort of a full MLB roster. And it's there's no sort of forced um, enforcement of that. So in theory, a team could cut all their MLB players, sign a bunch of prospects, and you have to decide how you feel about that. It is worth discussing that as a league and being like, oh, do we think this is a good idea, bad idea? How are we going to enforce this? Um, in general, what I found is that when leagues discuss something like that, everyone's like, everyone comes to an agreement of what to do, and then you never have to enforce it because people are generally not terrible and they don't just break rules for the sake of breaking rules. Um, but it's worth having that conversation. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that you really need to do as you're getting started. I think those are sort of the, the biggest things. Uh, the other thing I would do, um, and this will get into our draft, what we, we can use this to transition to auction strategy, but that first year auction, I mean, Pete, you've now done two of those first year auctions. Uh, they are time consuming, we'll say. Oh, yeah. Um, and I know for both of the startups we've done, we did the same structure where we did like, what did we do? Like three hours of live auction um you know not live like in person live on the auto new system but like players being nominated 15 seconds to bid clock reset right like the the standard fantasy auction like you'd expect and then after three hours we switched to a slow auction using couch managers which um you know we've talked about on the show before how those slow auctions work if you have questions about it let me know i've also written about that on fangraphs you can go look look for that on fangraphs um but that what that basically does it allows us to make sure that the first, the biggest name players, the highest priced stars, are are auctioned in sort of a, a traditional setting without then having to spend like eight hours in, in auction together. Um, so I, I think that's a really good way to do a startup. The other way to do it is to pick two separate days and do like three hours on each of those days, and then. And then switch to either a slow auction or using in-season forty-eight hour auctions that Auto New has um, for for normal free agent pickup. So there's just a couple of different ways to do that, and I would spend at least a little bit of time thinking through how you're going to schedule that because it otherwise it it can be I mean, it just can be a, a, a significant amount of time. Pete, how have you felt that that's worked doing that that format? Uh, I prefer the way that we've done it based on the different ways of doing it that you just described. Um, I, again, I, I really enjoy drafting and doing auctions. That's why here in you know early January, I'm already two drafts deep. Um, and so you kind of get to scratch that itch. You also get a lot more time to like think about your roster. You know, you go through that three hour experience that it kind of goes by quick because number one, it's something that you enjoy if you're doing this. But number two, like the players just come rapid fire. Like you said, 15 seconds, clock resets if there's a bid and all of a sudden, you know, um, your roster starting to fill out. All the top names are going off the board. And after those three hours, you've probably got anywhere from, you know, a, a, a quarter, maybe a third to a half a roster set. And you get to begin to think critically about what you want to do in the slow auction. Um, so I, I really prefer it that way. Um, just having the ability to kind of think about your team before finishing it and making all those rash decisions for your bench and, and filling out your weak spots. 
Yeah, and that, like I said, that does get us into a a transition into the strategy question for first-year auctions, which is really what Ethan was asking. But before we dive too deep into that, let's take a quick break. We'll, We'll get into that when we come back. All right, welcome back. We were talking about first-year auctions, and we, we've been talking a little bit about how to get them, how to get an auto new first-year auction set up, what the structure should look like. Now we're going to get into strategy a little bit, and interestingly, at least for me, these things are related in that what you were just saying is exactly what I, I would do in a split auction. Whether split means you're doing three hours today and three hours next week, or you're doing three hours today and then you're doing a slow auction or whatever. Um, in those cases, I rarely go into the first set, first portion with a very detailed plan. I have some guys I like. I have some, you know, I know I want to walk away with at least a couple of star players, right? So I might have an idea of like, I want to find a couple of $40 players and a $30 player. But like, other than that, I'm like, eh, let's just see how things go. We'll see where the values are. And then when there's that break, either because you're going to do three more hours next week or because you're going to switch to slow auction or whatever. That's where I sit down and start to like build out a depth chart and be like, okay, what didn't I get? What do I still need? Where can I spend? Who are the right free agent targets? Is is that, I mean, do you go in with more of a plan in the first half than that? Um, I think I do towards the end because the thing I worry about with slow auctions is if I have a deep sleeper that I like, and I'm going to give a bad example because Number one, he he wasn't like amazing last year, and and number two, I don't even know if this is what I did for this particular league. But um, Carlos Estevez is just the name that's sticking in my mind. And last year, I liked him as a purely just saves target. I thought the Angels bullpen was was kind of trash, and this was a guy who they were bringing in who like all right, at the very least, he's going to provide saves. And to his credit, that is what he did. His ratios were not outstanding, but he certainly didn't kill me. And by the way it's hard to find saves in five by five ought new. There's just so many relievers that are rostered. Yeah. It is very hard to find saves. So my issue with waiting to nominate a player like that for the slow auction is that now I'm giving everybody else at least 12 hours to think about, do they want this guy or not? Whereas if I wait a little bit and we're in the, the immediate, you know, the three hour auction, 15 second timer, um, at the live auction, I guess would be the, the way to put that. Um, I'm kind of forcing people to make a decision. And I think a lot of people look at Carlos Estevez and be like, ah, I think I can find saves elsewhere. And all of a sudden now he's $6. That makes me a little uncomfortable. Whereas if I let him go to slow auction, people might be like, you know, I'm also looking at that angel's depth chart. And I kind of do need saves more than I thought. And now I have time to look through the available relief pitchers. And man, there really isn't a lot of saves left. So I don't know if I actually did nominate Carlos Estevez during the live portion last year. But if I were doing a startup now, those sleepers that like I really want, that I feel really strongly about, I kind of want to force people to make a decision quicker because I don't want to give them time to research that player. Um, but otherwise, in terms of like um, immediate strategy, I mean, we, we could talk more about this chat. I'll let you respond to that. But I certainly had my targets last year. Yeah, I actually like, I don't think I've always been great about that in startup auctions. I'm, I, I do that in... Like I'm pretty good about that in future years where I'm like, okay, it's year four. I know I need this thing. I think I sometimes in a startup, I'm not as, oh, I'm not always as well prepared around like, what am I going to need? Right. I know in a five by five, I, you know, there's 10 categories. I know I need those 10 categories, but I think you're right to think ahead and say like, man, you know, 
second base is going to be hard to fill and saves are going to be hard to come by. And so like, who are the guys I can nominate in the first half of the draft before, like I said, before everyone else maybe realizes what they're worth. Um, I, I really like that idea. That's what, I think it's a really smart strategy. I, I, I would do that if I were, <laughs> I would, if I would be more proactive about doing that in the future. If I were doing a startup league this year, um, Typically, what I do, like I said, I, I tend to have more of a sense of like, I know I need a couple of star players to carry my team because if you don't have those guys, it's really hard to win. Um, but I tend to be a value drafter. And so what I'm going to do for, for that draft is I'm going to go in with my list of values, how much I'm willing to bid on players. And I'm going to just, for those first three hours, whatever it is, I'm going to sign the guys who fit my budget, right? I'm like, oh... This guy's a $40 player and he's only at 35. I'll bid on him. This guy's a $50 player and he's at 41. I'll bid on him. Um, I, I especially like that when, when there is that break before you switch to a slow auction or before you go to a second day, um, because I can then say like, okay, these are the guys I got. What else do I need? If you're going to try to auction straight through, I mean, you're going to take some breaks because it's just too long otherwise and so if you're going to auction straight through i would have a plan for how you're going to use a, you know a 10 minute break to, to readjust um but to me early on i think that's that's a smart strategy that, you, that you're talking about to say like okay yeah i'm just going to buy values but in addition to buying values i'm going to make sure i walk away with like two closers and here's some closers i'm really interested in and i want to fill second base and because i'm i'm scared of second base i i'm picking on second base today i don't know why um, <laughs> because historically it's been a terrible position yeah, it just better. it happens to me that this year it, it looks like it might be okay yeah so i'm trying to think are there any other any other advice any other strategies you'd recommend for somebody doing their first first year on a new auction uh i get the last piece I, i'd leave people with and um i don't i don't think this goes entirely against what you were just saying because like you said you need studs to win and that is like you know, at the beginning of the auction, it can be intimidating. Like, oh man, that guy just went for 60. This guy's pushing 70, whatever it might be. Don't be afraid to spend up for the players that you want, right? I, this has worked against me countless times, but last year it just happened to work out great. Where on my board, Acuna was not, like the runaway number one. I hunted him down, might have overpaid, but in the end, obviously I didn't, right? I mean, he was clearly worth that. Yeah. It's not always going to work out that way, but in some, in at least one of the mocks we did, I remember looking back and being like, man, I... I could have had another high-end player and still had money left over. I just don't want to be left with too much money left over after the auction thinking, wow, I could have added Jordan Alvarez to my roster and I just was too timid at the beginning. Uh, so now I don't have him. Yeah, that makes that makes a ton of sense. Um, I, I think I, I have that problem where I tend to, because I tend to be a value drafter, I tend to like, oh, this guy's getting so expensive. And I think sometimes you just got to get over that and, and go out and get sure. guys um because the reality is if you, especially in a first year auction right in, in year four of a league where you've got keepers and your your team is sort of formed and you're looking to fill out a roster rather than build a roster necessarily um sometimes you can like you know i talked about this last year in that fangraph staff league niv and i got too caught up in value drafting left a bunch of money on the table and didn't fill some needs we needed to fill, but we had a strong team to start with and we were able to make a couple trades during the season and fill some stuff out. And we ended up winning that league. 
Um, you can do that in those leagues. In a first-year league, if you if you don't walk away from the auction with some guys who are going to carry your team at some level, like, you're in trouble right from the start. Um, so right. I, and, I think that that's that's a great great thing to keep in mind. And like you might be like, all right, I went five dollars over to to make sure I got Julio Rodriguez. Well. If if to you as the studied manager you are, if you're convinced that you know you know what Nick Senzel, I'm going to get him for a dollar and he's going to go twenty ten and he's going to be a ten dollar player whatever. Well, there's your your nine bucks. Just trust yourself. Trust your targets. Um, don't be afraid to spend. I do like the flexibility. Like you just brought up, you won that league with all that flexibility. It's not a bad thing, but too much. If you don't end up with a stud, like ugh, I don't like that either. Yeah. So with that, let's uh let's transition to another topic that's that's related to this. I think it's actually directly related to what we're just talking about, which is who are those guys that if you were going into a first year auction right now, you would target? And I, I wanna the the way I think about this, and Pete, you may think about it differently, and that that's that's fine, but to me this is not a like I don't I don't go into this thinking like I need to get Juan Soto, right? Because the reality is, if I can get so, if I if I feel like I need a top tier outfielder, I can get Soto, I can get Judge, I can get Acuna, I can get Jordan. Like, I have options. I can even get you know J Rod or Tucker or Carroll or someone like that, right? Like, so I'm, that's not where where I focus on guys I need. It sounds like it's not either for you when you're talking about like Estevez. What I'm looking at is who's a guy who, based on what they're likely to go for. I think is going to be a good value and allow me to spend somewhere else. Um, and so I'll, I'll start off with this because there's there are two names at the same position who I, I would be targeting in a startup league right now. And their first baseman, one is Josh Naylor, the other is Vinny Pascantino. Um, Naylor is, just as an example, the two mock auctions that are going on. I don't know. The auto new Slack community had one that, that Pete and I participated in. There's another one going on right now. His average price in those mock auctions is eleven fifty. Um his projection is more like a seventeen dollar projection. And uh Pascantino is sort of in a, a similar camp where He's been going for about $11. His projection is anywhere from a $16 to $20 projection, depending on how you cut the data. Um, those are the kind of guys who, for me, from a bats perspective, I, I really like those guys. I think they're both good. Their values are down, I think, a little bit, or their, their perceived values, their market values are down a little bit for, for different reasons. But if I can get one of those two guys, I have filled either first base or util. It doesn't stop me if Matt Olson or Freddie Freeman or Pete Alonzo or someone like that is a good value. It doesn't stop me from spending on a big first base bat because I can move one of the guys to util. But it allows me to put a $20 bat into my lineup right off the start without spending $20 on them. Um, and so that's that's an area where like, I really like to walk away with one of those two guys because they give me, I expect they will give me very, very valuable production at a low cost. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Um, Vinny P, clearly the uh, the injury bounce back target there. 
Um, Josh Naylor, I, I do like a lot. And I, I agree. I mean, we could, we could be talking about ultimately what would end up being a $20 player. I think the, the one stat that I, I keep coming back to with Josh Naylor is that he hit 299 against lefties last year. You know, um, and you, you can say what you want about batting average. It is one of our, well, not for points, but it is one of our typical five by five categories. And at the end of the day, the fact that he hit 299 against lefties, whether you, you put any stock in that or not, it does mean he's probably going to play more against lefties this season. I, I, I don't, I mean, Chad, you'd be our resident expert on this. I don't think Josh Naylor is a platoon player, right? Uh, so this is, this is so interesting to me because I, I don't remember who was, who was talking to you or someone else where I was just like, you have to be so careful with him because he's obviously a platoon guy, blah, 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 blah. And I went on and on about this. And then I pulled up his numbers and going into like going into last year, I mean, his career WRC plus against left-handed pitchers is 84. Now last year was only 147 plate appearances. So you, you've got to, you know, be a little, it's not nothing or it's actually for one season. Yeah, sure. It's, but it, but it's a, it's still a small sample, right? I mean, the reality is one of the reasons it's hard to evaluate things like platoon splits is you never really get enough data to know. But there are some pretty drastic changes in his platoon splits. Um, he in so in 2022, he was striking out 26.8 percent of the time against lefties, walking 11 percent. He was super passive. And that's sort of been fairly true for him historically. Stuff's been up and down. But last year, his strikeout rate against lefties was a career low 10.2%. His walk rate was 5.4%. That's a much lower walk rate. But it's a good sign that he was being more aggressive. He was going after the ball. He was also hitting more fly balls than he ever has in his career against lefties. He hit more line drives than he has every every year except one. Um. He wasn't really like he wasn't popping the ball up at a high rate. He he just everything sort of looked good. Now, one of the big changes there is he was pulling the ball less, which is an interesting thing because we usually talk about, you know, you pulling the ball is good, right? That's how you hit home runs. That's how you hit for power. That's the thing that I want from Naylor is somebody pulling the ball and smashing home runs. But it may be that against lefties, he's better off waiting a little bit, making sure he finds the pitch he wants, and if he needs to go the other way, going the other way. Um, and, and the result was, like you mentioned the 299 average. I, I mentioned 127 WRC plus against lefties. It wasn't just average. And the immediate thought is like, yeah, well, did he have BAPIP luck? 308 BAPIP, that's high for him, but it's not some crazy number. His home run per fly ball rate was 12.2%. That's not some crazy number. Like, There's nothing in here that you look at and you're like, Dude, like this is this is not sustainable, except for the fact that it's only 147 plate appearances, and I'm I'm hesitant to be like he's fixed it. He can hit lefties now, but it is certainly enough that when the season starts, I expect him to be an everyday player. Yeah. Okay. Well, and then there it is. If Josh Naylor really is in fact an everyday player, and those things hold up, and and as you were rattling off the stats, it, I'd be curious to hear him talk about it himself. It just sounds like. The effort was, I just want to put the ball in play. I just want to put the ball in play against lefties and let that take care, take care of itself. And that was definitely noticeable, not just in the, the I guess, uh, the fly ball rate or, or whatever it might be, that strikeout rate against lefties being at like 10% for a guy who would be labeled in years past as a platoon hitter. Like if he's only striking out 10% of the time, I, he's not a platoon player against against lefties. Like just, just let him put the ball in play and see what happens. 
Um, so yeah, I like I like the Naylor and Pasquantino picks there. So what about you? Are there any bats that you look at that you're like, man, if I could walk out of you know the first part of that auction with this guy, it's going to really help me build my roster. Yeah, so I thought a lot about this, and ultimately, it's not a particular player for me. Um, and I'm not taking I'm not taking the cop out and saying that like every auction is going to be different. Like you're going to have your 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 auctions where Corbin Carroll goes for seventy. You're going to have your auctions where Corbin Carroll goes for forty. Like I'm not I'm not saying uh, taking a cop out, but I view it more as tiers. More and I haven't I haven't made my tiers yet. But to me, outfield is as we know we've talked about this quite a bit is looking thin this season. Not new format means we're talking five outfielders and there's twelve. Teams. I mean, it, it's going to be hard to, to field a really good outfield. Um, and so I'm looking at the elite outfielders and I want someone at the end of that tier. So for me, and obviously this would depend on format, if it's points, then guys like Michael Harris are not as useful. But I, if we went down NFBC rankings for outfielders, Acuna Jr., Julio Rodriguez, Corbin Carroll, Mookie Betts, Kyle Tucker, Fernando Tatis Jr., Aaron Judge, Juan Soto, Jordan Alvarez, stop. To me, there's a, a drop off after Alvarez. All those names I just gave, like some are definitely better than others right but i don't i don't think it would be shocking if any of those guys finished as like the number one player in fan points like I, I i just don't think it would be all that shocking and that includes alvarez right if he stays in the field for 150 games why couldn't he finish number one so to me it's about waiting and 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 making sure that my team ends up with maybe one of those guys so in this case i guess i'm saying jordan alvarez which is a weird take because he's going to be expensive no matter what but if all of those guys are gone and I get the cheapest of those outfielders. Well, I'm feeling better positioned to strengthen my roster elsewhere. I do want to say this is only the case for first year auctions. Um, I, I can't remember the exact players, but I remember last year in the Fangraph staff auction, um, there was like a very clear, like four starting pitchers. I might, it might've been five that were like, all right, these are like ACE tier level pitchers. Um, and as they started to go off the board slowly, I remember thinking like, all right, at least there's two left. All right. Now there's this one left. I got to go for this one. I think that one was Julio Urias, who obviously had his issues last year, both on and off yeah. the field, kind of besides the point. Um, but I wasn't the only one that was aware of that. And all of a sudden Julio went for, he, he went in the forties, um, yeah. after like Scherzer and a handful of others weren't even close to that expensive. So that's when waiting hurt. But I think in a first year auction, that's not as much of a concern. So I'd rather wait to the end of a tier. And in this case, go for Alvarez. I think the challenge in a, in a first year, in an auction, forget first year, subsequent year, the challenge in an auction versus a draft is like in a draft, if there are like five guys in a tier you want, you can wait till there are two left. And if your turn comes up, you can make a calculation and say, how likely are they both to fall, one of them to fall, whatever. And you can decide like, all right, I got to take my favorite of the two now, or I'm picking, you know, I'm picking 10th. And so I have another pick coming up in three picks. I can, I can pass on them now and get one on the, the comeback. Like you can make those kinds of calculations in an auction league. Just because a guy went last from a tier doesn't mean he's going to be cheapest from the tier. Um, to your point on, on Urias. And I, I think that's actually a very common thing, even in first year auctions, that if you have eight teams that wanted one of the top six outfielders, or uh, did you mention six outfielders, seven outfielders, whatever it is? You mentioned I think 12. I think it's 12. it's 12. Yeah. So let's assume you're in a league where everybody thinks they need to come away with one of those guys, and somebody comes away with two quickly. 
then all of a sudden there aren't enough to go around. And whoever's last on that list might actually end up being the most expensive, which is what happened with Urias last year because of just those market dynamics and the way things play out. So my take on that is not necessarily waiting. It's being opportunistic. Um, I, I, I agree with you. Like if I'm looking at, if I look at it from, you know, I'm looking at my rankings for Fangraph's points right now, which we'll talk about a little later. And my top outfielders are Acuna, Soto, Judge, Alvarez, Rodriguez, Tucker, Carroll, Trout, Tatis, Schwarber. That's that might be where I I stop, and maybe even maybe even above Trout, which which leaves me with like you know eight guys. If I want one of those eight guys. I'm not waiting for the last one. I am the first time one of those guys comes up and is going for a price I think is reasonable. I'm going to jump at it. And you run the risk then of being like, you know, three picks later, another guy gets nominated and he goes even cheaper. And you're like, wow, I, sh- I should have gotten him instead. Um, that to me, that's the better kind of hindsight than waiting till the last guy and being like, those guys were all going for 45 and the last guy went for 60. And now I've, I've I either missed out on all of them because I just could not get myself to go to 60 or I spent a ton on this guy when I could have spent a lot less than someone else. So I, I tend to prefer to, I shouldn't even say I tend to do this. My preference when I'm being logical about it is to jump in and get one of those guys when there's a reasonable price, even if it's a little high. Um, I tend to be very bad at that. I, I I want to wait for value. And because I want to wait for value, if I'm like, this is a $45 guy and he's going for 47, I pass. And then I end up with like, well, this guy's a $40 guy and he's already up to 50 and he's the only one left in this tier. And so what do I do? And that's how I ended up in the situation I did with Niv last year where we bought nobody that we needed. <laughs> and that's not a good situation either. So um I I agree with you. What the guy I want to end up with is whoever is cheapest from a tier. But in an auction setting, you don't know who's cheapest until the entire tier is gone. And that's much harder to, to judge. And so to me, it's more the first guy from a tier to get nominated and go for a good value. Just take them when you have the shot, um, especially in a first year auction where you have a full $400 budget. You can adjust and find someone else later. Right. And, and yeah, I mean, that, and that's why I'm, I'm hesitant to even give a name here, right? I, I like the way you put it. It's about being yeah. opportunistic and having in your head, like, all right, this is, I, I want to end up with somebody here. So when I see a good value, that's what I'm going to pounce on. And it's not only not like a draft in that you can predict those things, but it's also not like a draft in that they're not going to necessarily be nominated in that order, right? Like Alvarez, who's at the end of that tier, and by the way, it was nine names in my mind, Alvarez might get nominated first. Right. And then Jared Duran might get nominated and like it's going to really muddy the waters and the values and everything else. So it is about being opportunistic. And and that goes for all these players, not just the guys at the top. Right. I mean, if Vinny P gets nominated, all of a sudden the bidding gets up to twenty five bucks. I'm sure you're out, too. Right. So um, I think that's where. That's where for sure I'm I, I'm just being flexible and I'm targeting in my head. I mean, we'll talk about this when we get to starting pitcher in just a moment. A group of pitchers I want a group of outfielders I want, and I'm going to be opportunistic within that range. So who are the pitchers? Is it is it the same, just like I want one of the top eight, ten pitchers, whatever it is? Uh, yeah, so that's a good question. Um, so if we're looking at the pitchers, um, 
and I, I again I'm using NFBC ADP, which isn't always going to be the perfect carryover. Spencer Strider, Garrett Cole, Corbin Burns, Zach Wheeler, Kevin Gosman, Luis Castillo, Zach Gallon, and stop. Um, Talent-wise, I could certainly include Glass now and there. Um, I know a lot of people, including our fearless leader, Nick Pollock, would probably include George Kirby in there and have him even higher. I know there's a lot of hype on Pablo Lopez, but to me, those... Sure, Yamamoto, which I, I would not include in those seven names. Um, that, to me, is the, his is name the top come up there. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Those seven names, but again, it's about being opportunistic because Zach Gallon might get nominated first and end up being the most expensive of that group. Um, and the guy who ends up with, I don't know, Garrett Cole, which wouldn't happen, could end up with the best deal. Um, so I just know in my head, going into a first-year auction, elite high-caliber starting pitching is thin. Outfield is really thin. I don't want to miss out in these spots. So this is where I'm going to maybe be a little bit more aggressive than I would normally be. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. And I, I it's it's interesting because you and I do approach this from sort of a a different direction um where you are you're looking at that top tier and saying I need to get somebody from that tier. How do I plan around that? My approach is typically and I'm I'm going to for pitchers it's very similar to what I was saying with uh, with Naylor and Pascantino, I am much more likely to go and say, who's a starting pitcher who I think might be a $15, $18, $20 starting pitcher who I think is going to go cheaper than that. Um, that is, to be honest, much, much harder to do with pitching than it is for hitting. I, like I found some hitters that I was like, you know, and I, I mentioned two of them, but I found some hitters. I was like, yeah, this guy's projection is way better than what I'm going to have to pay for him. I haven't actually really found that pitcher. The closest I've come, and it's a it's a a weird situation, I think, is Carlos Rodon. And I haven't quite gotten myself to the point where I'm like, yeah, I want to walk away with Carlos Rodon as often as possible, especially in a first-year draft. But he still projects as like a $20 pitcher, and he's going for more like $10, $11. And... I, I mean, here's the reality with Rodon. Uh, we know how good he is or how good he can be. And we know he's been hurt and that that's the issue. And last year was terrible. Even when he came back, velocity seemed fine. Like things, stuff seemed good, but the performance was was not there. Um, but if I look at the other guys who's like looking again, those those mock auctions that are going on, if I look at the other guys whose prices are are meaningfully below their projections, it's like Rodon, Scherzer, who I'm not super excited about, Mason Miller, who's sort of all over the place. Um, Shane Bieber is a little bit undervalued, according to the projections. Chris Sale, a little bit undervalued. And I just don't really... Like none of those guys jump out at me. It's like, yeah, I have to have that guy. And so Rodon is sort of the closest, um, which gets me back to, I think I'm looking at hitters where I can find undervalued hitters so that I can do what you want to do, which is spend on a top tier pitcher. Because I, I'm, I don't know. I'm worried about what I'm going to get out of my pitching. And so, yeah, 
I would rather be in a position where I find two or three undervalued hitters and then I can go after like a top of my rotation that's something like Gaussman, Gallon, and Pablo Lopez because I've just been willing to spend on all three of them. I think that's sort of the route I'm going to go this year. Yeah, and and you know, you said this right at the top that your kind of strategy is obviously a tough difficult one to do, and I think a lot of it has to do with the time in which they're nominated, right? Like if you think you can get Carlos Rodon at a bargain, there's no way to predict this, but there's no way if he's a target for me, I'm nominating him early in the draft when people have money and and might think like, "You know what? Yeah, there's value there. I'll pay up for him as well." It's just a really tough thing to to kind of plan out. I think part of the problem with starting pitching and and why you you probably had trouble finding one is like we're in this weird place where you could maybe make the case that this is the case for starting pitcher every year, but the elite, the elite elite, like at the top is, is thinner than I think it usually is, or maybe it's almost too similar. It's weird. There's also a lot of names that are brand new to being in like the top 100 picks, the top 150 picks in drafts, which I know is, is often the case for pitching. It just feels like more this year. And we're, we're looking at the top and like, Freddie Peralta. I mean, talk about a, a polarizing player, a player with two very different halves. He's basically like a top 15, top 20 starter. You know, Yamamoto, what are we doing there? Uh, Tariq Skubal, who like has all the skills. And I know you've been a fan of him for a long time. Yeah. Looked like he broke out last year. But do we really trust taking him <laughs> as early as he's going? Apparently, I do. I, I took him in that NFBC 50s I was talking about earlier that I'm in. But it's a weird state that we're in when it comes to starting pitcher um and so finding value is like any of these guys could be valuable based on where they're going i just want the shirt the closest thing to a sure thing that i can get yeah i think that makes sense and i i do think with with pitchers early on i i'm with you on like a guy like rodan i think i want to wait because you what you don't want to do is that people be like, oh, there's a $20 projection here. I'll go to 15 because later in the draft, they might not have money. The guy I might want to nominate earlier, the types of guys I might want to nominate earlier are, to use the example uh, of, you know, what Nick Pollock being really high on George Kirby. If I'm Nick, I'm nominating Kirby early because I want Kirby going at a time when everybody else is like, I'd prefer Gallon. I'd prefer Glass now. I'd prefer Pablo Lopez. I Framber is still out there, right? Like, what you don't want is to get to a point where Kirby's the best pitcher left and he's sort of the end of the tier guy. You want him to go early enough that everyone, if you think you're the high man on someone, you want them to go early enough that everybody else is like, eh, there's someone I like better still out there. Um, you're not going to get like, you're not going to sneak him through for like five bucks at that point. But you'll get him for a reasonable price instead of running the risk of, you know, the, the worst case scenario is there were four managers targeting him. All of them have lost their other options. And so now they are all banking on him. Somebody will way overpay. And, and so you want to avoid that if you can. Uh, with that, let's take a quick break again. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit of auto new rankings. All right, welcome back. Uh, Pete, I just emailed you a link to my my draft auto new rankings. Um, right. They are in process. I talked about this back in the beginning of the episode. I started with the entire auto new universe. I deleted anybody who was not rostered in any league, sorry, who was not rostered in at least 3% of leagues or who wasn't nominated in any of the mock auctions that have happened so far or who doesn't have a value on the surplus calculator, or who doesn't have a value in Adam's rankings. Like, I, I took a bunch of things and tried to identify every player who might 
be worth looking at. I ranked 849 players. I do not want to talk about all 849. But let's look at my top 25. Let's say top 25. And I will read those off for the readers, listeners, um, so you guys can hear who they are. I'm sort of debating whether maybe I'm going to cut this off, actually. Let's do our my top 20. And the reason I'm going to do my top 20 is because I break these guys into tiers. And I have a my third tier. Is that my third tier? One, two. Yeah, my third tier ends at 20. So we'll just we'll cut it off there. Pete, you can see the guys after that if you want to talk about them. But here are my top three tiers of players. The first tier, which is a $55 to $65 tier, is Acuna, Soto, Judge, Betts, Otani, Jordan Alvarez, and that's it. Those six guys. The next tier is actually even smaller. It's three guys from 45, 45 to $54. That's Corey Seager, Freddie Freeman, and Spencer Strider. And then my third tier, which is 36 to $44, is Julio Rodriguez, Kyle Tucker, Corbin Carroll, Matt Olson, Mike Trout, Rafi Devers, Bryce Harper, Fernando Tatis Jr., Jose Ramirez, Jose Altuve, Vlad Guerrero Jr. Pete, I, I you know, that just dropped a bunch of names on people. <laughs> You've got the list in front of you, so you can look at it. Um, I, I guess my first question for you is like, is anybody here just straight up in the wrong tier from your perspective? Um, I think the, the name that's almost boring to discuss because we've been doing this for, for years now is Mike Trout. Um, I seeing him, you know, in your typical five by five drafts and obviously his upside is, is, I'd say his upside is pretty good in both, but he doesn't run anymore. So his upside is definitely higher here. Seeing him go in like the seventies, which like to me, that's a slam dunk pick. You know, like if I do, if I'm picking up 76 and Mike Trout's there, I, I have a hard time not taking Mike Trout, especially given the aforementioned discussion about outfield. But um, I just, I don't, I guess it's a tolerance thing, but I see beneath him Bryce Harper, Fernando Tatis Jr. I, there's no chance I'm paying more for Mike Trout nowadays, regardless of the fact that he could be, you know, he could be a $75 player. When's When was he last? Yeah. Uh, that's my question. And at some point, you know, we, he's got, what was it a back thing that's apparently chronic and and I, he says he's fine and I'm not trying to drop conspiracies and everything else but the dude can't stay in the field like yeah all right yeah. he got hit in the hand or whatever it was and and that's just bad luck but like okay add it to the list um and I think at this point especially if it's a head head points league I want someone who's probably going to be there for me in the playoffs and I'd just much rather have like Trout or or Tatis Jr. Yeah I mean so you know, those guys, I have them all in that same tier, right. 36 to $44 tier. Yeah. Would you drop Trout out of that tier down to like, I wouldn't go over 35 bucks for him? And, it, you know, leaving inflation aside and, and league dynamics, I'd like, this is a startup league. Is he more in the that 28 to $35 tier for you? Right. I, I guess that's, that's really the question here. Um, Yes, he is. Um, and honestly, like knowing me, like I, I, I couldn't put him in the twenty-one to twenty-seven dollar tier because I, that's basically just putting up the white flag and saying I'll, I'll never have Mike Trout, yeah. right? But uh, is he that different than Kyle Schwarber now when it comes to this format and scoring? Like I, I don't know. And then you factor in the injury risk. Well, then I'm definitely out. Like I feel like not to get, go too down a rabbit hole with with Kyle Schwarber, but like 
last year for his batting average, that felt like a worst case scenario. Like, I'm not saying he's going to ever bat for a high batting average, but the dude was right. batting under 200. Like, come on. I, I just don't, I think I'd rather, Schwarber feels more bankable to me. And Trout, for that much money, like you're, you're tying up so much of your team into this player that I just don't think he can stay healthy. So yeah, I would lower him a tier. To answer, to answer the original question, because we're, we're nitpicking versus Harper and, and Tatis, yeah. I would lower him a tier at least. Is there anyone you would move up a tier? Looking at, and you uh, I mean, for, for listeners, my next tier, I can read it off quickly, is it, it's a little bit longer, but Garrett Cole, Austin Riley, Bobby Witt Jr., Pete Alonzo, Trey Turner, Marcus Simeon, Kevin Gaussman, Corbin Burns, Kyle Schwarber, Zach Gallen, Tyler Glasnow, Framber Valdez, Pablo Lopez, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, and that's, that's it. That's that next tier. Anyone from that tier that you're like, dude, he needs to be moved up. Yeah, so I I, I want to remind everybody that's listening, if, especially if, if you're this deep into the podcast, then you are aware of this. But when you hear that Bobby Witt Jr. is ranked that low, that is because this is Fangraph's points that we're talking about. Yeah. Bobby Witt is going as the number two player on NFBC, so it just looks weird. And I'm actually not going to say to move him up. I want to see more of an improvement on that walk rate. A lot of his value in 5x5 five five is obviously tied up in the fact that he's a 50 stolen base stealer, which doesn't matter as much here. Right. Um, I, uh, Trey Turner... I. I think I'd still pay up for. I think that's what I'm going to end up doing in uh, the staff league where it's a little bit different because, you know, this isn't a first year auction. This is a league that's been around. Um, but I have Trey Turner there right now for it's probably right in this range. I have him for $43, which is like that's an expensive Trey Turner. And according to this, he probably should be a cut. But given the second half that he had, given the history that this player has had and shortstop gets kind of weird. It does. Like if you if you wait too long on shortstop, it can it can get kind of weird on you where you're looking at and you're like, wait a second, do I really want Carlos Correa to be my shortstop? Um, so he's a guy who I don't know if he should move up a tier, but I'm looking at that range from twenty eight to thirty five dollars, and I'm thinking like this is a player who's at the top of that range for me. Um, so he might be closest. And then, of course, you know, the conversation about elite starting pitching. Um, you have a lot of high end starting pitchers in this range. Now, part of that might be their propensity for the long ball. But like, I don't know, Kevin Gosman, uh, Corbin Burns. These are these are top five starters to me, and they're not in the first or second tier. So maybe they're not moving up for me like Trey Turner, but they're guys I'm going to pay at the top of this tier four. Yeah, I, I think that is more about how I view pitching, right? And, and and they maybe should be higher in that tier. Cole, I mean, you say they're top five starting pitchers. They, they're in my top five, right? My, my, my top starting pitchers are Strider, who I have ninth in that 45 to $54 tier. He's the only guy in that second tier. Garrett Cole, I have down at 21st overall. He's my number two pitcher. And then... Gaussman at 27, Burns at 28, Gallon at 30, Glassnow at 31. Like that's that's one through six, right? So I it's not that I have them lower among my starting pitchers. Mm -hmm. It's I think especially as we move to a world where and maybe I'm undervaluing Cole from this perspective. For for Garrett Cole, it's it's a home run issue. But in a world where your average starting pitcher is throwing like 170 to 180 innings instead of getting up to 200, like their opportunity to put up elite value is just lower and it, and it's riskier and there's there's going to be more variability in their performance and more possibility of injury and all sorts of other stuff that for me keeps their value down and I am more likely to spend on hitters and that's why I've got you know 
My top 20 has one pitcher in it, unless you count Otani, which you shouldn't. Um, it's Strider, right? Strider's the only pitcher in my top 20. I can make a case that that's not fair and I should have more pitchers up there, but I'm not going over $35 for any of the other pitchers. So they don't get into those tiers. So that's just sort of how it it plays out. Um, so I, I agree. It, it looked weird to me too. Like I went over this like multiple times being like, there should be like, there shouldn't be one pitcher in my top three tiers combined. That doesn't seem right. But then I'm like, oh, the prices on these guys seem like the prices I'm comfortable with. And so I just, I just couldn't do it. But, and I, I mean, that's, that underscores the point of being opportunistic within a tier, right? Yeah. Because like, okay, you know, I might not feel comfortable paying 28 to 35 for any pitcher not named, you know, Spencer Strider, but I'm going to, I want one of them. So I'm going to find, try to find which one goes under 30 and they can still meet that tier and I'll feel pretty good about the price. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and I, I do think, you know, in, in my existing leagues where I'm, you know, it's going to be very different, right? If I need pitching and these are the guys who are out there, like there's two of those guys out there, I'm just going to pay for one of them if I have to. Yeah. Like, I, it's probably going to hurt, but yeah, that's what you got to do. I'm not going to be real happy about it, but like, yeah, it's what you got to do. Um, the last thing I want to talk about with these rankings, I have Shohei Otani fifth. This is a, there are two things for me that go into ranking him that high. Um, one is he was an elite offensive performer last year, right? Now he is util only that obviously hurts at least a little bit, but like, you know, if I'm going to plug somebody into my util spot, like he's as good a hitter to have to build around as, as any, um, on top of that, there is future value there because I think we still assume he's going to come back and pitch and that won't be this year, but. If I can get him in that range, right? He he is he is fifth of the six guys in that that top tier. I have him right ahead of Jordan, right behind Mookie. And I I think for me what this came down to when I was I was like, if I could pick, if I was picking between Alvarez and Otani for this year alone, I'd probably take Jordan. They're both elite hitters. They're both going to put up great numbers. But one of them has outfield eligibility. That makes a big difference. That's probably where I would go. But if those two guys, if you tell me right now, those two guys are going to be the same price, I would take Otani because I'll be able to keep him next year as my util slash ace. And that's that has value. For sure. Um, I, the one thing I would say, and I, and I want to start by saying, I agree with what you just said, but the one thing I would say is in Anu, I think being util only is worse than it normally is in say your average Roto league. And that is because of the less positions and it's really just one, right? There's one less position because you still have middle infield, but you do not have corner infield on your roster. And like, I, that is visibly hurting me in the staff league. Where, for example, I have Marcelo Zuna for $3 next year. That should be slam dunk bankable value. And that's important for my roster to go forward. Like even after a first year auction, those values I feel like are even more valuable because you can get players like that at super cheap deals. And Ozuna for $3 feels like awesome. Perfect. I can 
This is a player that's going to allow me to do other things with my roster. Except when you factor in that I have uh, Tristan Cassis at uh, $11, which is another slam dunk deal, and Freddie Freeman for 50 I cannot play all three of those players at the same time, right? And you could just say, well, cut Freeman, save all that money, invest it elsewhere. But I, I don't know. I don't really want to cut Freddie Freeman. I feel like that's a pretty good player for 50 bucks. So yeah. with only, I do think it hurts more than in other formats just because the rosters are a little bit smaller and because it is still five outfielders. Outfielders are very important to me. So I'm not saying I wouldn't pay for Otani or that he's not the, the fifth player. It's just understand going for those util only guys it, it hurts a little bit more than it normally does it's not like getting jd martinez late in a roto league and be like oh i had util open anyway now i got this 30 home run hitter it it's, doesn't always work that way um in ought new and i'm trying to navigate that myself right now yeah and i think that is there is a, a roster construction question there i think in a first year league the good thing is you can just plan around that right like, right just don't spend $50 on Freeman and 15 on Cassis and 55 exactly. on Otani. Like that's, that's a manageable thing in a first year league. I agree when you've got an existing roster, like you have to figure out the right way to work around the challenge that puts on you. But like last year, the top points per game hitter in Fangraphs points was Acuna at 9.11. Otani was second at 8.79. Nobody else was over eight and a half. Seeger was third at 8.31. Betts, 8.14. Freeman, 8.1. Those were the only five guys over eight. Like he is, he is an elite, elite hitter in this format. And I, I think, honestly, I think like even in drafts, even in other formats, I think people are like, I think people are sort of sleeping on him a little bit. Now is the time to buy. To say. Yeah, but. But I think people are like, oh, well, he's not going to be what he was and he's hurt and blah, blah. It's like, yeah, but he's going to should be fine to DH. And man, I, I think now is the now is the time. Um, So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right that if you've got to if you have to deal with that util only thing on an existing roster, um, you have to figure out what to do with him in a startup league. I think if you're going to target him. Just be aware that you're going to target him and don't go out and spend a bunch of money on another like multiple corner infielders if that's if that's your plan. Um, yeah. In that staff league, you could just trade me Casas and that would solve the problem. <laughs> the way. Well, I, I have a whole other problem there with because there's only one, you know, middle infield spot or whatever it might be. Not that there should be more. Uh, I've got I've got all sorts of issues there. CJ Abrams is on my bench right now. It's just Less valuable in this format, but a $7 CJ Abrams makes me happy, and he's on my bench with a $3 Azuna and a $3 burger. I just want to get these guys in. Uh, Yeah, those aren't bad guys to have on your bench, though. Like, No, it's a good problem to have. You'll you'll have opportunities to get them into the lineup. Guys will get hurt, right? Like, it'll come up. Um, And you and I, look, we have talked about Cassis. I am, I am definitely interested <laughs> in him. And the challenge that we're running into to the same point is we have a $35 Olsen and a $31 Alonzo. And so, like, we've talked about a deal for Cassis that I'm, I'm not sure I want to do anyways, but I can't mm-hmm. do it now. <laughs> like, they just, sure. there's no reason for me to do it right now. And so we're actually, Niv and I are having some trade talks about um, Alonzo and Olsen to figure out what we're going to do because 
we are interested in Cassis, and you do need to make a move. So there, there, there may be a fit there if we can if we can find a way to to make it work. But we'll see. I'll keep looking. But with that, we are uh, we are at time. I think we've been going for over an hour now. Covered a lot of stuff around first year auctions, auto new values. I got some feedback on my rankings, which will help because I'm going to start publishing those soon ish. Um, but yeah. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back with you in two weeks.